associate pastor. For any of you that don't know me or haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm excited about this morning, excited about what God's doing at Vintage and uh, what he's stirring us to. Um, One more little quick plug back to something Randall mentioned in the announcements. We're doing a 242 night next Sunday evening, and we'd love for y'all to be here. And really what that is, is we're looking at scripture in the New Testament and seeing who the church was that they came together and they they broke bread or in other words, they had a they had a potluck. That's how they, that's what they called potluck back then. Um, and so we're having a church wide potluck. We're getting together and we're going to have a time of prayer. And so we want everybody to be a part of that. You know, I've always wanted to be a part of a church that was trying their best to be as much like the first century church as possible. And that's what we desire to see happen here. That's what we want to be a part of. And so uh, we'd love for y'all to uh, to dive in with us. And uh, yes, I love macaroni and cheese, that kind of, you know, home baked macaroni and cheese with little crusty stuff on the edges, you know, like that, like gets me fired up. And the fact that you can do that and like have New Testament church, well, I'm, you count me in. So anyway, as we're Going into this season, as Steve spoke about a couple of weeks ago, we've just entered into the Lenten season. Last Wednesday was, was Ash Wednesday. And what this Lenten season is about is it's 40 days before Easter. And it's this time, traditionally in church, that we, we take to kind of prepare our hearts for what God is doing and who he really is and what this whole thing is about. That we can enter into this Easter season and really worship our risen Lord. And, you know, if I were to ask you today, you know, the gospel that you believe, is it the gospel where Jesus Christ is known as the Son of God, who was sent from heaven here to earth, came and lived an ordinary life, experiencing the same temptations that you and I experience, but lived his life sinlessly, without fault, and then choosing to be a sacrificial lamb, on behalf of the sins that you and I have committed, so that there was a death to atone for those sins that we have participated in. Chose to give up his will and submit it to the Father and and die a very painful death on a cross. Hands having nails go through them, through his feet, spear in his side, left To suffer and die. Is that the gospel that you believe in? Most of us, if we're Christian, would say, yes, that's the gospel I believe in. But I want to challenge that gospel a little bit this morning. With something that we've gotten a little too comfortable with in the the Christian telling of the story. And that, that comfortable piece is this reality that, just like I was challenged in this moment when I was in seminary. uh, Dr. Jerry Walls, professor, uh, professor of philosophy, sat down the first day in his class, he threw out this hypothetical scenario that I'll put before you this morning. Suppose that the headlines in this morning's paper were that Jesus' bones were found in a tomb just outside of Jerusalem. Hypothetically, Jesus' bones, they can DNA somehow prove that this was Jesus, the guy that we just spoke about. And that his bones are found in a tomb just outside of Jerusalem. What would that do to your faith? What would that do to your belief? And if you would still choose to say, well, that gospel that I just explained a moment ago, 
that could have been described because I stopped at crucifixion. That could have been described as Jesus died on the cross. And that's where things ended is the gospel that you've put your faith in. Well, then, friends, you'd be a fool. And so would I. But not only do I say that. Paul himself says that. So this morning we're going to look at what Paul has to say about the reality of resurrection. Because, friends, the reality of resurrection is it is everything to the Christian faith. And if the Christian faith and and the Jesus that we know and believe ended at the crucifixion. Then we have been fooled. So let's look this morning. We're going to dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and where Paul writes again to this Corinthian church in the second letter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I see that this is kind of where Paul is is back and forth reiterating some of what that he spoke about in 1 Corinthians 15. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are we are are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still you are still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we of all people most should be pitied. Friends, if Jesus' bones somehow were still in a grave somewhere, then you and I, above all people that have ever lived, who call ourselves Christians, should be pitied. Our faith is futile. We still live in our sins. They have yet to be atoned for. But the fact is, as we see moving forward in this chapter, verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And for since death has come through one man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through the man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. This year we've been diving into and and throwing out some language to you guys that we're calling real life. This is what vintage is about. We want people to experience their real life. And how we define real life is that we want you to be the person God created you to be and do what God created you to do. That God has a plan for your life. And the reality is we've all become somebody different than who God originally intended us to be. When he thought of us in our mother's womb, things have happened to us. Things we we participated in things we've sinned, we've moved forward in life, trying to become somebody and trying to fit in and trying to put on makeup in order to be looked at and seem to be acceptable. We've not truly fully been who God originally desired and intended us to be. And this real life, this journey that we're on is about becoming who God intended for us to be. I was on the phone with a, with a friend earlier this week, really going through a struggle. 
And as they're going through the struggle, they were really frustrated, mad and angry with with someone. And as they began to tell me about what was kind of going on in their heart and how they didn't like the reality of where their heart was in this, I, I just asked them the question. I said, OK, let me just pause you there. Let's sit, let's put the other person aside. It's a difficult relationship. But let me just ask you, which way has your heart been headed because of this relationship? Are you becoming more who God intended for you to be? Or are you, is this affecting you to a place that you're become less and less really who God created you to be? A person who loves. And immediately they recognized in humility and said, no, thank you. I realize this is, this is working on me and I'm moving the wrong direction with this. This is a reality in my life. And I was able to encourage them. I said, that's what this is about. We're here to build up and encourage each other to turn around and take steps toward becoming the person God has for them to be and has for you to be and has for me to be to become this person that even in the midst of a trial like this friends going through, they can discover a new how to love in a whole new way. That this doesn't have to pull them down and create a bitterness within their heart. This can be an absolute Avenue in which to teach your heart how to love in a whole new way. And friends, that's what moving toward a real life, a resurrected life is about. You see, Jesus has an absolute plan for your life and for my life. And he said, he says in John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Now, who in here would say, man, I am at the absolute top of the world. I'm living at a 10 all across the scale in every area of my life. I am experiencing the fullness of life. Any any full lifers in here? Then there's still something more that Christ is desiring to do in your life and my life. You see, the way that I see this is that our lives are like layers of onions, right? And that there's always something more that the Holy Spirit is wanting to do to usher in the life that Christ wants to bring. So we're going to look at a few different terms that you may have heard in church before this morning. We're going to look at uh, I'm going to define resurrection. Resurrection is to take something that was dead and bring it back to life. Redemption, the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment and reconciliation, the action of making one thing Compatible with another. All this. Jesus desires to be the reality of your heart and mind. He desires for this to be the reality in the heart of your next door neighbor. He desires for this to be the reality in the person that you get along least with. He even desires for this to be the reality in your spouse's life. I didn't get a chuckle on that one. The reality is that the the resurrection and the the reconciliation, I mean, the, the resurrection and the redemption, that there's there's this resurrection that has taken place, that Jesus is alive and he still bears in his hands and in his feet and in his side the wounds that he experienced on the cross. But he didn't just experience those wounds so that he could experience pain and atone for our sins. And he personally felt that pain. He experienced those wounds vicariously 
for you and for me. That we don't have to live with those wounds that we may have had done to us or that we've participated in. And to carry that burden of those sins any longer. Jesus said that he came to set captives free. He came to bring healing to our hearts. And that healing to our hearts is this place where he is reconciling our heart to be in alignment with his heart and the heart of the Father. So what does that reconciled heart look like as we continue to dive into to, to Corinthians? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we live by faith, not by sight, and we are confident, confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him and whatever we are at home in the body or away from from it. So Paul is saying we would let, we'd, I would rather be in heaven with my Lord, but for now I am not. And so I make it my goal. I make it my mission to live to please God. Continuing on further in that chapter, verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one with a worldly point of view. Though we, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. Now, let me just ask you, because I didn't have a, a, a raising of hands when I asked you if you were experiencing the fullness of life, then you recognize that there is more of life that Christ has yet to bring inside of who you are. There are still wounds. There are still things. There are still layers that the Holy Spirit is at work to do. There's this argument, you know, some may say, well, well, Christ has done all the work on the cross. Then why in the world do I need to you know, pursue or invite God to heal different things. All these things have been accomplished. And the reality is there's a yes and answer to that question. That yes, atonement for our sins, that we can have eternal life with God, was accomplished on the cross and was visibly seen in the resurrection. Because if the resurrection is true, then the cross is true. And if the cross is true, then Jesus is true. And if Jesus is true, then everything that Jesus said is true. And if everything that Jesus said is true, we see that as a reality because God affirmed it by raising him from the dead. Jesus, Jesus is raised from the dead. It's all true. And the reality is, just as that is true and we have this reality of salvation to live in eternity with God, it does not mean that there is not work to be done in your life and in my life. To experience a fullness that Jesus says he came to bring. And that's this process that in the church we call sanctification. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. To put his hand on the next layer. And to deal with the next wound. That something where something was dead and where something was stolen. And something was, was taken from the enemy. Comes back to life. You see real life friends is a life of experiencing resurrection. Not just resurrection in, in the, the place of where we're going one day in heaven, but resurrection in all the areas that could be dead or wounded in your life. Jesus and the Holy Spirit 
is actively at work, alive within you, to take the areas where the enemy has stolen, killed, and destroyed and to redeem them and to breathe life back then into them. And you can't get this accomplished by going to a professional counselor. You can't accomplish this by thinking positive thoughts. This is a supernatural work done by the Father to breathe life into something that was dead. And there are parts of your heart and my heart that God is still wanting to heal and wanting to resurrect. There are things that God has in store for you and I to join him in and doing. Steve's going to get into it in the coming weeks as we look at reconciliation. But he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. You see, resurrection has taken place. Redemption, something paid for to be regained, has taken place. Reconciliation is an ongoing process until Jesus comes back. And there are things that he is wanting to reconcile in your heart and in my heart. That he is wanting to reconcile in your next door neighbor's heart. To be awakened to the reality of what he has done in the redemption and in his resurrection. As we look at this reality, we have to see that God is moving, He is active, and He is alive. And He has things in store for you. I truly believe that, that God has a plan for your life that you may not even be aware of. We're starting to see a trickle of it here and there. We hear it in Nicole's story. This very thing that God has been calling her to, you know, she's starting to see that they've opened up their house. The reality is, in order to move in toward reconciliation, there has to be this this change, this turning point that happens in our heart. Because, friends, if you're wanting healing, if you're wanting this wound to be addressed, if you're wanting the next thing to happen because you think it's going to be good for you, then you've completely missed what we're preaching about real life. All of this focuses on reconciliation taking place in your heart. And the reconciliation that we're talking about is what Paul is referring to in this passage. So when he says they no longer live for themselves. But for him who died and is raised again. Do you want healing? If I could have said, "Okay, the Lord is going to pour out an anointing of healing. And if you just come up here and let us lay hands on you with oil, would you come because you want healing or would you come Because there is this motivation in your heart to get up out of your seat and walk forward so that God could be glorified. Are you doing it for you? Are you doing it for the Lord? Because, friends, that's the foundation that the Lord is interested in. He wants your healing, not so that you can have healing. Jesus died on the cross so that you could be healed to bring glory to his father. And is that good news for you and for me? Absolutely, that's good news. Because when our hearts are turned and our hearts are living for the glory of God. And Jesus said, you know, when he's in this season of fasting, the disciples said, come on and eat some bread. You need some nourishment. He said, I have nourishment that you do not know. The nourishment that I feed on is to do the will of my father. Jesus models for us that the heart is to be consumed with and on fire and and find its life in That they live no longer for themselves, but they live for him who was dead and who is now arisen. If if the Barlows are are diving into this ministry of 
foster care because they think it's the right thing to do? Well, friends, there's a harsh reality. And the great thing is, is that's not their plan. That's not their heart. I mean, you hear it in Nicole's testimony. It's this compelling thing within her that looks at who Christ is and looks at all that he's done and says exactly the same thing that we've been talking about in Romans 12. In view of God's mercy, live your life as a living sacrifice. That's a heart that has turned and is no longer living for self, but living to see God glorified. So when our hearts have this reconciliation work taking place, friends, let me tell you what is around the corner. It's called resurrection. To whatever was dead and whatever has bound and whatever has stolen, killed and destroyed parts of who you are. Resurrection is possible. I've asked Rhonda Dameron to come this morning and share with you just a little bit of her story. Rhonda, if you want to come on up. When I first uh, was hearing part of Rhonda's story, I, uh, I was just amazed at this transformation that took place. So, Rhonda, I'll let you share, and then I'll pick things back up. Um, I shared this at the ladies' retreat that we had a couple of months ago, so some of y'all are going to get to rehear it again. But I was uh, bound with a spirit of fear for about 30 years. Um, I was a slave to it. It actually paralyzed me. Um, I would get really fearful at night. I couldn't stay by myself. And uh, it was a generational thing that had come through my mother's side of the family due to witchcraft and attached itself to me. And then I married a man, of course, at work night, so it intensified it because when he would go to work, uh, then I would fall apart. And um, on top of falling apart, you know, I'd wear my husband out. Uh, you know, want him not to go to work. Um, my parents didn't know what to do with me, and the church didn't know what to do with me. And um, there was a couple of reasons that I was a slave and paralyzed to this spirit. Um, I did get saved at 23, and it was 30 before I got delivered, but I didn't really know who I was in Christ. It's kind of like what Scott is preaching on this morning. I didn't understand what Jesus did for me at the cross. I didn't understand how powerful the blood of Jesus was. And so when I got um, 30 years of age, uh, the church that I was attending kind of forced me into getting some prayer ministry. And I went and seen this gentleman. And he took about two hours to explain all this to me. And I'm so thankful for it because that night I was set free. And I don't know if you're bound up here today with hurts or wounds or depression or addiction or maybe a spirit of fear like me. But when you are, you can't do what God wants you to do. And you can't um, walk out your calling. And um, it's a miserable place to be in because it totally consumes you. Um, When you don't sleep at night, you're exhausted. And um, so I'm thankful that God set me free. And I just want to share that if you listen to what Scott preached today, you can be set free. Jesus has already done it at the cross. You don't have to beg God to do it. He has already taken care of it. It's going to take you, like me, repenting and confessing and learning who you are in Jesus and getting a true understanding of what the blood of Jesus is about. I actually also received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that did empower me. And helped me walk through my deliverance. 
So I'm going to turn it back over to Scott today, but I just want to encourage everyone, when he has this altar opened up, today could be your day. You could be set free today, just like I was. Thank you, Rhonda. One of the things that I realize as I meditate on the cross and the painful death that Jesus died for me to be free, for me to experience eternity in heaven, for me to recognize that there can be life, that a new life that flows into my heart, that gives me a whole new motivation for living. That's not about me, but is about giving my life back to what I was created to be given for, and that is to live for your glory, God, to worship you. You see, this, this reality is that Jesus has paid the price. And if I look at, the, if I look at my own life and, and I'm blind to see the layers of things more that God wants to do to restore and redeem areas where my heart may be numb or may be asleep, and I'm not willing to bring my will to the table, then, friends, part of Jesus' death for me was in vain. Don't let any of what Jesus did for you be done in vain. He said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Your heart comes alive as it turns to live fully for him and no longer for the self. He wants to breathe life continually into who you are and who I am. One of the things that I see in the now two years that I've been at Vintage, just that there's so much more that God has in store for us as a body. That he awakens within us this calling to ministry. He awakens within us the reality of the good works that he has in store for us, just as we see in Ephesians 2.10. Before we were ever created, he knew the good works that we were created to participate with him in. Friends, the Holy Spirit wants to flip the light switch on in your life where when you're walking in the grocery store and you just saw a hungry kid somewhere in our community that the light bulb goes off and your heart becomes broken saying, what if the what if light bulb pops on and you start having these dreams and this this fire that stirs up in your bones? It says, what if God wanted to start doing something or create ministry to help to feed these hungry families? What if God wanted to use me in some way to take in one of these kids? What if I could participate within community and have my life tell God's story? What part of God's story are you experiencing? Because the reality is who I know Rhonda to be and what I've seen happen in Rhonda is this. She's been set free and she can't help but tell people about it. She wants other people to have the same experience. Let me just ask you. Do you need the Holy Spirit to wake you up? Because so many of us are numb and asleep to the reality of who God is and the life he created you for and the ministry he wants you to he wants to give you. And the word that I got this this week as I was praying into this is the is I just felt the Lord saying You feel like you may feel like you've been waiting on the Lord, but the reality is the Lord is waiting on you. And he says it's time to turn. 
and to bring your heart to the place that you say, here I am, Lord. I am here to wait upon you. Have your way. Spark within me the vision that you have for me to join you in for the glory of your father. Friends, you'll never experience real life until you join God in the work that he is wanting to do to reconcile the layers in your heart that are still dead and to reconcile lives that you and relationships that you have of people who do not yet know Jesus. And if your heart is numb to that, then I've got good news. We're not going to wake up tomorrow and hear a story about Jesus' bones being found in a grave because he is arisen and he wants to breathe life into those places in you that are dead. He wants to breathe life back into your ears to be able to say to hear awake. You are my beloved and I have paid a price for you to experience a fullness in this life. Won't you turn and let your heart be motivated to glorify the Father and no longer live for self. As Paul says, to die to that is gain. So we open up this altar for you this this morning. If you just want to come and kneel and say, Lord, I want that shift. I want that turning to take place in my heart that it's not about me anymore, that that, Lord, I'm not coming and wanting more healing because I want to be well. I want you to deal with this issue. I want you to deal with this hurt. I want you to do with this wound for your glory. We have a lot of people here that have had wounds from churches and from leaders in churches. And it's time to no longer have that weight be something that holds you back. It's not okay for the reality of your salvation to be the confidence you have in your time of devotion. It's time for the tree of who you are to start bearing a fruit. A fruit that glorifies your king. So I ask you this morning, as you invite the Holy Spirit to point out, what is this thing? Do you have the fruit? Are you seeing the fruit of life? Are you seeing the fruit of this this passion that's stirring in your bones? I invite you to come and wait upon the Lord. We have our offering plates. We have communion. We have people that will pray for you. And we have an altar that is here for you to kneel before the Lord in. Won't you come?